Well, hello, friends, and welcome to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry and podcast ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located in Greenville, Texas. Now, in these few moments we spend together each week, you'll hear great and stirring interviews and powerful messages from the Word of God. But the reason for it all is so you can be touched by... everyone, Pastor Chet Haney here with the His Mighty Hand radio broadcast and podcast, and I am so delighted this morning to have Katie Paniagua, who is uh, here as my guest, to talk to us today about a really important topic. God bless you, Katie. Thank you so much for coming in today. It's great to have you. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Oh, oh, me too. I am real excited about this because this is a topic very close to my heart. Uh, We're going to talk about basically the field of counseling today. Mm -hmm. Katie is uh, already in seminary studying counseling, and she is just an amazing young lady. I actually met you recently because I knew your husband, and congratulations, you guys have been married now for six months, I understand. Congratulations, you guys have been married now for six months, I understand. We have, thank you. Yeah. How's that working out for you? <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> married life is good. She's smiling, so that's a good sign. Good deal. Yeah, Kevin, um, Katie's husband, is the assistant BSM director over Texas A&M Commerce, and we've had such a privilege to um, make a little bit closer connection, our church, Highland Terrace, with the student ministry over there at the college, and we want to go deeper with that in the in the future. And so Kevin was uh, kind enough last week to bring Katie by and uh, just had a chance to meet her. I wanted to meet her because she is studying to be a counselor, and as a pastor, I need help with counseling. <laughs> Matter of fact, I have learned as a pastor, Katie, that uh, you're kind of assumed to be a counselor mm-hmm. if you're a pastor. Mm-hmm. Everybody thinks that. Yeah. And unfortunately, it's really not the case. Uh, we're not trained. We're not really qualified uh, to do some of the counseling that we do. And so it sure is nice to have uh, referral people like yourself who I can, uh, you know, tag team with a little bit and say, hey, come help me out a little bit. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we we thought we might begin today by just allowing Katie to share a little bit of her journey and um, some cool things God has done in your life that have made um, this ministry important to you. Mm-hmm. And uh, God's blessed you uh, in this way. And he's also encouraged you and given you a vision to be a blessing to others as well. You want to tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I grew up in Arlington, Texas, in a Christian family. I'm so really grateful for parents who love the Lord and taught me about him, took me to church, you know, read scripture with me, prayed with me, all of that stuff. Um, So when I was about six, I decided Mm -hmm. I wanted to follow the Lord. And while I believe that was genuine, I really didn't understand exactly what that meant um, in the life transformation that had to come along with that. Um, so it wasn't until I was about 12 that I really felt burdened by my sin. I really understood, mm. you know, I have to repent. I have to turn away from these sins. I have to make a life change. Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I went to my mom and I told her that and just, um, really that was when I had 
this excitement for the Lord, um, yeah. just this passion to follow him. Um, and it was actually that same year that we had um, a family friend that started to take advantage of me. Um, and this went on for about two years. Um, and, by, and by the grace of God, just randomly stopped one day um, mm. and obviously had some pretty um, powerful impacts on my life um, oh, wow. and made a big change. Um, and so I really, for a while, um, dealt with some memory repression and I couldn't mm. remember what had happened. Yeah. Um, I knew that I felt dirty, that I felt broken, that I felt yeah. um, incomplete, but I didn't know why. Um, and so, you know, I was trying to understand the Lord, trying to grow in Him, trying yeah. to understand why do I feel these ways. Yeah. Um, and so that led to freshman year of high school. Mm-hmm. I dealt with a really deep depression um, and just kind of, you know, asking the Lord, you promised this abundant life. Yeah. Where is that? You know, why do I feel miserable? Mm-hmm. Um, and really, honestly, spent a few months trying to figure out how I was going to end my life. Um, and so it no really, kidding. really got to a deep, dark point. Um, and I know that this isn't the case for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but by the grace of God, within one conversation with my sisters, that depression was broken. And so wow. I had not said a single word to anyone about my depression. Hmm. I didn't really... I didn't understand that it was depression necessarily. Um, and obviously I didn't know why I was feeling that way, but within one conversation, you know, they were asking me, you've been really angsty, you know, is this just teenage years? What's going on? Um, and I told them, I don't want to be alive. I don't want to be here. I feel miserable. Um, you know, I'm not finding this joy in the Lord and just something about speaking those lies out into the air. I was able to identify them as lies. Um, so the Lord just, Praise the Lord <laughs> came in yeah. at that point and just revealed that to me, revealed those as lies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, I had this renewed excitement for the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, I feel joy. I'm happy. I feel peace. You know, I'm not dealing with this depression. Um, yeah. and then came senior year of high school and that memory repression lifted. Um, oh. and I, yeah, remembered everything that had happened. Mm. Um, my anxiety shot through the roof, started having panic attacks, mm. um, having a lot of nightmares, didn't feel safe around people, especially men. Yeah. Um, so I went and I told my parents, you know, Hey, <laughs> I just remembered this thing happened six years ago. Um, and I am not okay and I need help. And so I really, I knew the biblical truth of hope and healing in the Lord. Um, but that just, it was just kind of in one ear out the other. Um, yeah. It wasn't helping me process the trauma that I'd gone through, things like that. Um, so I ended up going to a Christian counselor, and I cannot even begin to tell you um, the impact she had in my life. And that was just the exact person that the Lord knew I needed. Um, she walked me through, you know, what had happened, how I was feeling about that, um, and what the Lord had to say about those things that had happened to me. And just that, you know, those things hurt the Lord, but that there was hope and healing possible um, to be, you know, that could be found in him. And so yeah. that really just from starting to see her to the end, just a night and day difference that the Lord, I felt like just picked up the broken pieces of my life and put me back together. Um, felt like I was able to just completely forgive the person that had taken advantage of me and just found really complete hope and healing and restoration in the Lord. Um, so that is really why I'm doing counseling. Um, I want to go be able to help people that, you know, where, where I are, where I was, um, and just be able to tell them, Hey, I've been there and I know that it seems hopeless, but look, I'm on the other side of it. 
and I have found complete hope and healing in the Lord. And, you know, that it's going to be okay. That is such a uh, blessing. Uh, thank you so much mm-hmm. for your transparency to open up with us. Uh, we feel very honored today as your listener, uh, Katie, that you have, um, you know, shared uh, such a uh, uh, an amazing journey. Uh, from the heart, and as you were talking, I've got three daughters that I raised, and, and I'm just thinking about a little girl, how um, magnificent of a creature a little girl is, even at age six, when you first begin to think about the Lord. And mm-hmm. By the time you're age 12, you know, little girls are just got a universe of consciousness. They're just uh, amazing little creatures, mm-hmm. you know, uh, almost almost adults, really. Um, and a matter of fact, in years gone by wasn't uh you know other ages even in our country it wasn't unusual for girls to marry mm-hmm. when they were 15 years old you know something like that so by the time you're 12 by the time you're a freshman in and uh, high school it's easy i think in our culture right now to underestimate the uh the, the level of um thought sophistication and personality that uh, that kids have mm-hmm. and you know the stress that they deal with the anxiety uh, life is not easy for any of us and those of us who have mortgages and you know car payments and responsibilities jobs careers etc we think we're the ones who know about stress <laughs> and kids don't have any stress mm-hmm. but the truth is stress may be even more uh, pronounced, I mm-hmm. think, during adolescence, mm-hmm. when you're trying to figure a lot of things out, right. than it is uh, for us now in our in our more adult years. Um, so, thank you for sharing all that, and and what an amazing um, story to trace God's hand mm-hmm. uh, through all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, not only in your um, in your pain and in your um, your injury that you suffered. But also uh, in your salvation, as God, uh, you know, placed the joy of the Lord before you as a prize that you knew you needed to claim, right. you know, by Him, and that in order to be able to claim it, you had to get some help. Mm-hmm. So, your sisters, your parents, what was their reaction when they found out that you had been through this um, this trauma? I know there must have been some grief that they shared with you. Some. Mm-hmm. Must have been very emotional. Yes, there absolutely painful. was, I would say, a grieving process for all of us. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, realizing that those things had happened and having to face that reality. Yeah. Um, and then also for them, I think my parents felt a sense of guilt of how did we not know that this was happening? Yeah. Um, which, of course, you know, I, I think that's a common thing, but of course, no one, no one can know. Um, yeah. And, you know, there weren't the warning signs that obviously there's no fault on them. Um, but yeah, it was a grieving process that we kind of had to Mm -hmm. work through. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I think that my parents kind of didn't know where do we go from here? What do Mm -hmm. we do about this? Um, and so it was me that, you know, I I told my parents I need to go to counseling and I am so grateful that they kind of were like, okay, these are the next steps we're taking. You know, you go to counseling, they, found me a counselor um, that had been recommended by some friends. They were incredible and paid for me to go. Um, and then after my sessions, I would come back and I would talk to them about what I had discussed with my counselor. Um, so just, you talked to your parents about it mm-hmm. very open. 
Yes. Yeah. We're a very um, close family. And yeah. and there were times that, you know, I, c- I could tell that it was a bit much for my parents to hear that really? they were really having a hard time with it. Yeah. Um, and so. I bet. Mm-hmm, yes. I can't yeah. even um, imagine. And so, yeah, just I would try and keep them kind of in the loop. Here's where I am in the process. Here's a new thing that I've discovered about myself or the Lord. Yeah. Um, and really, once I started finding healing, kind of, I think, trying to reassure them, hey, I'm okay. Hey, the Lord's coming through. Hey, like, yeah. you know, it's okay. This is going to be something that he uses for my good and his glory. So healing for you and healing for them probably as well. Mm-hmm. All right, let's. Uh, come back if we can, Katie. Would you would you mind to come back again? Yeah, I'd and we'll love do, to. We'll do another session here in a little while, and uh, I'd like to um, maybe uh, transition uh, in our conversation about uh, about your vision now uh, to become a counselor and how you're preparing yourself for that, and uh, maybe some of the things that. Uh, you have to go through in order to be a counselor. People may have no idea um, hours that are required and the training that goes into counseling. And um, maybe we can also talk about um, another important topic. Katie Paniagua, thank you so much. Uh, we'll call this session one, and we'll see you back next time. Okay? Sounds great. Thank you. God bless. It's Pastor Chad Haney, His Mighty Hand radio broadcast. Thank you so much to you, our listeners, for your participation in our time today. And now here's the host of His Mighty Hand, Pastor Chet Haney. I want to uh, ask you to open your Bibles this morning to John chapter 12, verse 20. And in just uh, seven verses, verses 20 through 26, we're going to examine a little interlude in the scripture between the triumphal entry and uh, some other very serious matters about his own death that Jesus talks about, where he meets some worshipers who are Greeks, and he's able to say some things to them about a very important subject that's so encouraging, helpful to us, it basically boils down to this. He's able to explain to these men the true meaning of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And so we're going to ask God to help us with this today. I remember so well when I was a kid and I had either just married Terry, or was just about to, I can't really remember which, we'd gone down to Louisiana to see her grandparents in Florine, which is near Manny, Louisiana. Always enjoyed visiting down there with Terry's mom and dad because it was a chance to go back in the piney woods and kind of see how life used to be back in the day. And one of the things Mr. Woolley did for us to be able to share one of his uh, joyful boyhood memories was to take us in this old rickety pickup way out in the woods where there was a swimming hole that was spring fed. It wasn't very big, but it was very cold. Even on a hot day, that water felt like icy water. And I can remember one day Terry's brother and I trying to get in that water, and Terry was there too. And uh, we we were just inching our way in, maybe more like centimeters or millimeters at a time. It was so cold you could barely, you know, force yourself to move a little bit more into that water. 
And we turned around and looked and heard this big noise. And it was Mr. Woolley, Terry's dad, who was waving his arms and flailing and, and, and hollering and hooping and hollering and running full speed into the water. And he said, now, boys, that's how you get into a cold spring water. And, of course, we did what you did. We just died laughing. It was so funny. I remember Terry so well. She just inched her way. It took her about 30 minutes to get about 15 feet in there until a little crawdad nibbled on her toe, and she took about two steps back out of there. Now, today, I want to uh, share with you something about living for Jesus that much more closely resembles diving in or running in, full steam ahead. It works a lot better than waiting. And I think you're going to see that um, Jesus is able to say this to certain people for a certain reason that I think resembles the reason why you're here this morning at church. You've come to worship Jesus. That's why you're here. And because you have, God is able to say some things to you that he couldn't say to anybody else. And I just pray you'll be blessed by this today. What I'd like for us to do today, we're going to stand in reverence and honor of the reading of his word, as uh, we sometimes do. And we're going to do that this morning. And uh, as we read his word together, I'm going to ask you to pay very close attention to clues for uh, God's um, meaning that he wants to share with us today about being strong followers who dive in uh, to following Jesus. Then we're going to have a word of prayer together, and I've got several uh, points of remembrance that I want to share with you. So starting in verse 20 of John chapter 12, now there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Then Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, Let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Now, would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for such an impactful summary in just a few verses of the deeper meaning of what it is be a Christ follower, a serious and earnest disciple 
who desires more than anything to please you and to honor you. Lord, that's, that's really what we want to be. We want to dive in. We don't want to wade around in the water. And we pray today that you will show us how to truly live for Christ and not for self. As we study this passage together, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now notice, first of all, I'm going to share three things with you today. We're going to look at the search for a true worshiper. And then we are going to consider, in addition to that, the greater glory of Jesus, which is really what we're after. I think all of us want to see Christ glorified. And then we're also going to try to capture the meaning of what it is to be crucified with Christ and live not for self, but for Christ alone. So true worshipers, the glory of Christ, and then the crucified life. Those three things we're going to see in our passage today. We're going to try to consider them together and ask God to apply the meaning of these three things to our hearts. Now, if I were to give you a definition this morning of a true worshiper, what do you think that might be? Look at verse 20. The Bible says there were certain Greeks. Isn't that something? Among all these millions of Jews who had come from all over Israel for the feast, there were certain Greeks also among them who came up to worship at the feast. Now, what feast was this? It was the feast of Passover, which of course is the great feast commemorating the time when the angel of death in Egypt came to visit all the firstborn of the cattle and the children. And every home was affected except for which? The homes that had the blood of the lamb spread on the doorpost. The angel of death passed over those homes. And so the remembrance of that miracle of God became known as the feast of the Passover. Can I tell you something? Word got around about what God did in Egypt. As a matter of fact, as the children of Israel were traveling from Egypt to the promised land, there were many other nations along the way who encountered them who had heard about what God did. Don't you imagine the word of what God did had made it up around the Mediterranean to Greece as well? I want to tell you something. When God does something, people hear about it. Word gets around when God's moving in a, in a church, when God's moving in a family, in a, in a person's life, when God grabs a hold of that person who dives in instead of just wading into the things of the Lord and things began to move and and God begins to bless and there's power and blessing and there's evidence that God's working in your life, people are going to hear about it and they're going to notice. And so these Greeks had come from a long way. This is sort of like a, a mission trip, a pilgrimage to Israel. Can I tell you, they had spent a lot of money uh, to get to Jerusalem. They had gone to a lot of effort to be there. They planned this trip a long time, perhaps years or months before they had made arrangements and provisions for their journey because they wanted to be in Jerusalem for what purpose? They wanted to be there 
for the opportunity to learn from the holy writings and to participate in the ceremonial worship and to visit the temple that Jesus called the house of prayer for all nations. For them, it was worth it. They'd gone to a lot of trouble, but they were glad to be there. They were worshiping Greeks. You know, it reminds us, does it not, of the uh, verse in Romans chapter 1 that the Bible assures us that the gospel is for the Jew and the Greek. It's for all people who really have a desire to worship God. I asked uh, Austin, our new contemporary worship leader, to define worship for me. Here's what he said. I wanted to share it with you. He, he said, anything that draws praise honor and glory to Jesus Christ, a gathering, an environment that promotes multicultural, multi-generational, stylistically variant opportunities to lift up praise to Christ. It's a great definition of worship. I also was curious about the etymology of worship. Do you know the word actually comes from the construction of the old English worth-ship? It's actually an appraisal. What is it worth to you? Uh, how would you price something if you had a garage sale or a, you know something you're going to put on eBay? You've got to establish the price of something you're going to sell. That's its worth. That is what you could call its worthship. And so I kind of have my own definition that comes from this passage, and it comes from these Greeks, and it comes from worship leaders like Stephen Austin. It comes from the etymology, I say worship is when God is worth it to you to do various things. And I want to talk about those things this morning. Is it worth it to us to worship God? This is a definition that we can kind of understand and we can kind of work with. And so they stated their intention. Uh, These people who had come from Greece to worship God They stated their intention in what we could call a worshiper's plea. They said, sir, we wish to see Jesus. Now, who did they say that to? They said it to a man whose name was Philip, but the Bible also mentions where he's from. He's from a place called Bethsaida. If you go to Israel, as some of us have had the privilege to do recently, right, Mark? You will have the privilege to visit a town called Capernaum. And near that town called Capernaum was a town called Chorazin. And near Chorazin is a town called Bethsaida. Now, if you want to establish sort of a functional equivalency in the, in the land of Israel to the land of America, these towns, these little cities were sort of in the Bible belt of Israel. They were right in the middle of Galilee. They had synagogues. They had a rich tradition. And in comparison to them, there were some towns up on the coast that's actually modern-day Lebanon that were godless towns, uh, commercial centers called Tyre and Sidon. Uh, these towns in, uh, in Lebanon today worship the god of Yam and Mot. Yam was the god of the sea. His brother was Mot, the god of death. These were considered godless cities, sort of like our modern Portland and Seattle. You want to say it that way? I'm not trying to, you know, 
cast judgment or aspersions on anyone, but we kind of think of Las Vegas as Sin City. We kind of think of San, uh, Sacramento, San Francisco, I meant to say. Portland and Seattle as places, man, where it's just kind of really, uh, you wonder if there's any evidence of evangelical Christianity at all in some of those places. Can I tell you something? Every city is Sin City, including our city. And here's what Jesus said about Bethsaida. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 24, I just want to read to you some words of our Lord Jesus. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Now, did Jesus rebuke Tyre and Sidon? No, he actually didn't. He rebuked those cities in the Bible Belt. He rebuked Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida. Notice what he said. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. It's almost uh, reminiscent of the experience in the city of Nineveh. You remember when Jonah went to that godless city called Nineveh? What happened there? When Jonah came and said, 40 days and this city will be destroyed. What was their response? They humbled themselves from the greatest to the least, from the king to the servant. Everyone was in sackcloth and ashes. Everyone was fasting and praying. Everyone was repentant, saying, perhaps, maybe, there's a chance. Thanks for listening today to His Mighty Hand, the radio ministry of the Highland Terrace Baptist Church located on Joe Ramsey Boulevard right here in Greenville, Texas. Join us each week at this time as we celebrate His work in our lives through 